Welcome to another episode of On the Issues with Alain Ben-Mir. Today's guest is Vetan Saroy, a Kosovar publicist, politician, and former journalist who currently serves as a consultant to the government on negotiation issues. In this episode, Alan and Vetan discuss the current status of Kosovo-Serbia normalization efforts, the process of reconciliation, and the role of the EU and NATO in the region. <laughs> Thank you, Vetan, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to have this chat with you for some time now. Uh, you are so knowledgeable, um, um, have written extensively, negotiated directly, so nobody knows the the focus. I'd like to focus personally on Serbia, Kosovo. No one knows this. The, the challenge that exists today in a try in an effort to reconcile um, between the two countries. So if that's okay with you, perhaps we can uh, focus on that today. Yes, yes. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's, it's a pleasure. It's mine. Thank you. Uh, in any event, I, you know, uh, I know you wrote you wrote extensively, and you have discussed the subject quite a bit, and uh, you have your own obviously reservation about the way the negotiations so far has been conducted, um, you know, uh, through a third, with a mediation. Uh, can can you, uh, for the sake for the, our audience, to uh, hear your initial take on what went wrong, and then we can take it from there. Well, this is the first mediation effort, um, a facilitation effort on uh, Kosovo after Rambouillet and Vienna, in which uh, there was not a clear um, um, structure of negotiations beforehand. Uh, there were no clear goals, no clear deadlines. Um, there was not a, a clear outcome uh, that would uh, conduce that be conducive for the parties to engage in. Uh, so it is an open-ended incremental process uh, in which it is not uh, easy. I, I think well, it's actually impossible uh, to uh, actually say what the um, the end goal ought to be. Normalization of relations is something rather vague, uh, and normalizing relations uh, can be one thing for one party and the other for the other party, uh, unless this is clearly structured in the negotiating process. Uh, the parties tend to, uh, or some parties tend to, misuse uh, this kind of uh, opportunity for delay. Right, you know, I. Um... I've been personally dealing with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict for many, many years now. And one thing, one principle I've been trying to preach, exactly very consistent with your take on the Kosovo-Serbian conflict, and that is in the negotiations got to be a goal. What is the ultimate goal? That is, the negotiation ought to take, uh, to, to take place in the context of the ultimate goal, and there is no goal. Uh, then what are you really, in fact, negotiating about? And as far as, you know, as long as Serbia does not, does not want to recognize Kosovo, and that is, that's the subject of the negotiation, that is recognition as the ultimate goal and creating a process to that end, then this could lead to some kind of a solution. But they are absolutely right to suggest 
If that was not established from the very beginning, then the negotiation become an exercise and uh, basically um, endless conversation is not going to materialize into anything positive. So, so we, 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 let's take it from that point. We know that the, the conflict exists. We know that certain realities on the ground that cannot really be changed in a, in a short of some catastrophic event. For example, if I may, Kosovo independence. I don't think it's Kosovo independence is negotiable under any under any circumstances. Right. Or, for example, Russian opposition to to the mutual recognition between Serbia and because Russia does not want other countries, or certainly both, to become member of the EU as a result of that, which is. As you well know, that was an EU condition. And then you have, uh, uh, you, I think he spoke about it uh, quite a bit, about the mindset that is, Serbia wants to, to build a, uh, a normalization relation based on forgetting what happened, where in fact, the Kosovo, for good reason, need to reconcile the, the historic narrative, the, the psychological dimension of the conflict. And that ought to be said, unless that hasn't, hasn't been settled. And then, of course, you have other issues. We can talk about it. That is, the interdispersed population, of course. You have that's a fact. There's a geographic proximity. There is a, uh, and, of course, the, there's no way you can resolve this conflict in the, through the use of force. So we know these, these certain realities on the ground. And I'd like you to take it, if, if I may, and, and, and see if this is we have to deal with. Where, how do, where do you begin the maneuvering? What sort of effort ought to be done by both countries, other countries, as as well as the mediators, say in this case the EU, the United States, um, can do in order to change the dynamic of the conflict, which is critical. That is, unless we change the dynamic of the conflict, I don't think the two sides can ever see eye to eye. Do you agree with that premise? Yes. Uh, I mean, the issue is, is this. Um, we can deal with it incrementally for the next hundred years and, and without major changes uh, in the relationship, uh, because there's always going to be a problem that needs to be solved, um, that emerges in the relationship between the two countries. And when you deal at, at, with it an, on an ad hoc basis, you will always find and establish new precedents for it. Uh, or uh, there ought to be a um, a decision uh, that is both intellectually and politically ripe in in, in both countries and and with the mediators that uh, it is a situation in which uh, these two countries, these two people, ought to find a way for a peace, a permanent peace. Uh, that is a, a piece that will establish future cooperation. Uh, then we understand that we lived in a shared space that is uh, the European space. Uh, and so uh, the basic idea ought to be today, and using the Ukraine crisis uh, as an instigator, uh, a positive one, is saying, Compared to Ukraine, Russia, compared to the the dimensions of the new 
rearrangement, uh, if you will, of forces, uh, there is a possibility for the Western Balkan people uh, to live integrated uh, within uh, the European space, common European space, in both terms of security, political and economic cooperation. And to do that, uh, they need to find a way of cooperating with each other. So the end game between Kosovo and Serbia is not simply to find a way to tolerate each other, but to actually try to understand their grievances and mutual grievances, uh, try to deal with the past uh, whilst project projecting a future of cooperation. Then the question is, uh, is Serbia prepared to, I mean, to this day, Serbia continue to deny war crimes, continue to deny more than 1,600, 1,700 Kosovars are still missing. I mean, basically, they deny any any um, you know, all the crimes against humanity that took place. Yes, and and the, the Kosovars, for good reason, say you know this actually happened. There's a solid record. There's solid evidence to that effect. If there is no recognition of the past, then you cannot heal the future. You cannot heal the relationship. And, and, and so, how do you get the Serbian to accept um, the historic responsibility? Well, by, by not only insisting on the past. So it, it needs to be a, a package uh, of, of a, a, a 360 vision, 360 degree vision that, that deals with all the aspects, including, of course, the past, but putting it in, in the context of a dealing with the past as a way for projecting the future. Uh, and not of of having the future being buried uh, or the future being somehow sidelined uh, only to emerge as a problem. Uh, peace is not possible uh, unless you deal with the problems that have uh, led to war, uh, led to conflict, uh, led to hatred. And these issues, including prejudice and, and lack of knowledge of each other's cultures and, um, and uh, you know, dimensions of, uh, of, uh, of small imperialisms uh, and domination, etc., we need to get to a point at which we say, well, none of the solutions that have been tried in the past worked. And so we ought to be finding mutual solutions and the only solution that has not been tried uh, until now has been cooperation between equals uh, and so the basis of the foundation of the future is in this combination of, of equality of parties and their willingness and their needs to cooperate with each other so when you say you know cooperation between equals and that is really the, the key issue here as far as a uh, the Serbian do not feel that the Albanians of Kosovo is equal. And that means Serbia has uh, both territorial demands, uh, sovereignty still, refusing to recognize obviously Kosovo. So how do you get the Serbian to treat the Albanian, the Kosovo, as equal? That is, uh, obviously that is a precondition. That is, unless they see eye to eye, unless Serbia see Kosovo as an independent entity, 
that can deal with as equal, how do you get what sort of incentive? In my view, we're going to have to think in terms of incentives, and especially you mentioned for good reason the war, the, the, the war in the Ukraine. Um, and, and that, to what extent, for example, that might have changed some of the dynamics. To what extent, for as I see it, Russia is putting more and more emphasis in trying to support Serbia, help Serbia in order to try to continue to distance Serbia from the from the EU. That is what the Russians are doing today as the war is going on. So the war may 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 actually make the situation worse in terms of getting Serbia to be Russia making sure that Serbia become closer, closer to, to it rather than moving more to, toward the EU. So what sort of action the EU, the United States, the mediators basically need to, to undertake today from your perspective in order a, to distance to the extent possible Serbia from Russia, and there's got to be some kind of incentive, and, and b, create the kind of process, goal-oriented process, between the two countries in order to move them forward. That is, uh, my, my feeling is that incremental steps are okay as long as they lead to a specific objective. So what sort of incentive? I mean, A, do you agree with the premise that the EU in particular, because you are, you are rightfully suggest that the, the Western, Western Balkan ought to be their, their occupied space in Europe. They ought to be integral part and parcel of the European community. So let's. I'd like to focus on that. What the EU can do now to change the dynamic of the conflict? There are there are whatever whatever means. What is what's your what's your take on that? Sure. Well, there are several dimensions to it. Um, the first and most important is actually to uh, allow uh, Serbia to make a decision about itself. And this is the most important issue. And, and the, the, this is an, uh, a decision that nobody else can make for Serbia. And the decision that Serbia has to make is simple. Does, does it want to be a Eurasian enclave in a Europe that will have uh, a very clear and very clearly defined line of uh, friction, if you will, uh, between the continent and Eurasia, which is where this conflict is going with, with Russia. Russia is establishing a new uh, borders between a new ideological and, and all kinds of borders between Eurasia and, and Europe. Uh, and so does Serbia want to be a Eurasian enclave? Uh, within uh, Europe? Does it want to be a Kaliningrad, uh, an expanded Kaliningrad in, in this part of the world? Uh, and I think that uh, the majority of the people, they might be professing some love towards uh, Russia or Putin or whatever, but deep down, I don't think Serbia uh, is a, a Eurasian enclave. Uh, I think deep down they would probably want to be uh, part of, of Europe. So this is a decision for the Serbian people to make uh, and its leadership. Uh, if I just, uh, in connection with this point, yeah. so that we can move forward. Yeah. So 
how the Serbian uh, boutique today is in a position, in fact, to make that decision, given uh, how the pressure that is under coming from Putin, from Russia, at this particular juncture? Well, it is up to them. Again, this is, it's one of these things of, you know, wars and these, this, this enormous geopolitical shift that we're going through requires a, a mature decision of, this is time for mature decisions of mature nations. And uh, it is up to Serbia uh, to make a decision on on something that will have a, a, an enormous consequences for decades to come. Uh, but they can afford to do that. That's my, my question here. They can, in fact, can they afford to do that? Say to Russia, well, we are going to move forward because our national interest dictate that we should be closer to the European community. Well, that's, given, that, given, given all the ties that now Russia and Serbia have, militarily, economically, and otherwise. Well, that, that, that's part of the debate in the society. It's to get to your question, first, they need to identify that there is a question. Uh, and I think, you know, not only Serbia, but the whole continent needs to come to terms that this is a dramatic change. Uh, and in this dramatic change, everybody has to make uh, dramatic decisions uh, that will have consequences for the future. Um, and this, the, that's the second point is that the West uh, needs to make a decision about its security. Uh, and its security cannot be endangered in any way in its soft underbelly, which is the Western Balkans. Uh, and that soft underbelly needs to be dealt in both terms of uh, NATO security umbrella for the region by participation of countries in NATO, by membership, uh, and finding an arrangement between NATO and Serbia uh, with which both NATO and Serbia can live in terms of whatever they think neutrality is. Uh, neutrality cannot be, in this case, uh, uh, trying to uh, model itself as open to both Russia and the others. Uh, because Russia is an aggressor in Europe, you cannot be neutral towards Russia. And so this is a decision that has uh, security consequences. Uh, and the third uh, dimension is, of course, that uh, the European Union itself uh, has a rather easy task in demonstrating its solidarity uh, with the Western Balkans uh, by, and, and, and its European future and its stability by recognizing Kosovo, uh, the five non-recognizing countries of the European Union have a way of, of demonstrating the future uh, of, the, of, of, this, of, of this place in the continent by saying Kosovo is an independent country that is not uh, under dispute. What is under dispute today and what ought to be resolved is the nature of the relationship between uh, two independent countries, Kosovo and Serbia, uh, with the grievances they've had in the past. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, my, my feeling, and I mean, you touch on a couple of very important points, obviously, 
That is the EU itself being that is a significant player, obviously the most significant player, uh, ought to take certain steps. I think you're absolutely right. For example, convincing the other five member states who still don't recognize Kosovo to actually move, that is, the, the prospective integration of Kosovo into the European community is going to require, that is, I'm not talking now about joining the EU at this juncture because that's going to happen anytime soon. But one of the prerequisites is that these five EU members recognize Kosovo to begin with. But also the EU ought to create some kind of incentive to Serbia. Now, what sort of incentive? Uh, in, I mean, I have a number of issues. So what sort of incentive that is for Serbia to make a move, to help Serbia make a decision, uh, a mature decision, where their national interest rests, is is uh, probably a significant incentive on the part of Europe could be helpful because I agree with you. I think in the in the final analysis, Serbia does want to belong to feels belong more to Europe than Eurasia, and and uh, so there is room for the EU now to take specifically nowadays to make this type of. We have some idea in terms of someone to ask you from the EU, what can we do? To aim, uh, as an inducement for Serbia to to uh, to move closer to 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 the, you know to distance itself a little gradually from Russia. Well, what sort of incentive that can be? Presently, the EU has not opened a serious toolbox uh, of of incentives. It the EU relies basically on an old promise of 20 years ago, which is that the region has a European perspective. And it's it's been uh, running on that kind of promise for the past uh, 20 years. Now, importantly, the EU is a very important donor uh, and EU countries have a very important role. Uh, member states, uh, Germany, for example, has uh, uh, its investment of its companies uh, in Serbia uh, employ around 77,000 uh, people. Uh, and so I think one of the messages that uh, Serbia can understand is that it's not a given that uh, a Serbia of today, of, of Serbia of today will have the same benefits. Uh, that a Eurasian Serbia of tomorrow uh, would. Uh, and so it's not actually a given that that Serbia will continue to have foreign investments, foreign direct investments. Um, certainly the, the mood, uh, especially after COVID and after the, the initiation of the, of the COVID crisis, is going to be in insane economic uh, uh, mode of actually moving the the supply chain closer to to uh, to the European Union, which means which could be uh, greatly beneficial to the Western Balkans uh, as part of that supply chain. Um, the question, of course, is, is stability uh, and. And I think a combination of these uh, incentives and disincentives uh, might uh, might work. Uh, ultimately, uh, 
the the question is so big, uh, and of course it is percolating in all societies. The the Russian invasion of Ukraine has not actually come to come to all fours of societies throughout Europe to understand the the depth of change that it might uh, um, it, it might preclude in, in the future. Uh, so. I, I think the what Serbia will have to do, as with as all other societies, is to get to a point at which uh, uh, they understand that there is a, a big uh, decision to be made. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously that's the case. The question is, uh, how do you how do you get them to that point? I mean, that's the problem that's been all along. That is, I, in, as I see it today, you know, there's being there's a pull and push. Russia is pushing, pulling them in one direction. The EU would like to pull them in a different direction, and that's why what I'm thinking in terms of when I talk about incentive, that is, if they, like you mentioned, um, Germany has um, uh, manufacturing facilities and employ seven thousand people, and obviously that is very important. Um, that is an incentive. That is the if there's a real threat that if you don't cooperate, we're going to withdraw that. I don't think that's going to work. I don't think it can employ necessarily the same time uh, incentive as disincentive. Um, that is, we have to see how incentive works to begin with. So my feeling is, should we need, do? Don't we need to increase this incentive now, uh, without threat of, of, of withdrawing, say, some of these manufacturing facilities? Oh no! Oh no! No doubt about it. Uh, I mean, I'm all for for new incentives. The problem is. I don't see a a European Union that is willing to engage in in more incentives. Uh, there's plenty of new talk, but not of incentives. There's a, a great discrepancy actually uh, between uh, the analysis of the situation. You, know, you have a European Union that, in the first six months uh, of this year, has changed dramatically. It has. It is a European Union that has given money to buy arms for Ukraine, which is something nobody could thought would happen uh, uh, only a year ago. Uh, it is a European Union that is actually holding fast uh, and and keeping uh, unity vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, Russia, despite you know all the, the issues of of energy security that it has to deal with. Um, there's a, the discrepancy is between a European Union that says we are confronting one of the biggest crises or the biggest crisis after the Second World War, and then when you come to the Western Balkans, they say, "Oh, and on Kosovo, we will deal with visa liberalization," which is nonsense. It's a technical issue that should have been resolved, and as you say, it is time now to think about strategic incentives. To actually move the whole region into uh, into the European fold, and this is exactly what I'm thinking in those terms. That is, I think the EU here uh, certainly at fault. That is, instead of waiting for the two countries to reconcile and recognize, you know, procedures to recognize Kosovo until they start really significant process of integration, uh, I, I think the European Community ought to be making moves today. In order to begin to to prepare the ground for integration, however long that might take, 
I mean, that is the kind of incentive which Serbia and Kosovo would want to see happen. Yeah. Uh, there is a process. We are not committing to have you a member of the EU, but we're going to prepare you. And that's just creating the incentive for Serbia to say, well, we are benefiting from this. That is one incentive that is for the EU to demonstrate, in my view anyway. We are going to help you. We're going to do more investment. We're going to do this. We're going to ask you to, to clean up your act in terms of internal policies, in terms of democratization, in terms of a freedom, press, etc., etc. So culturally, politically, uh, financially, and otherwise, help them move, you know, pave the way for integration, albeit integration is going to still require recognition of other five countries, still require both countries to serve to recognize Kosovo, but moving them in that direction, in my view, could create significant incentive for both people. Do, do you agree with that premise? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so so how, how do you go about this? I mean, um, you, you've been involved in these negotiations. Um, what, what would you say today to, to the European uh, you know, if you want the solution, and 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 I'd like to also take you know get your view on uh, the war, uh, the, the Ukraine, and he said it's going to have significant geo strategic geopolitical ramification, which I fully agree with. Uh, how do you see that? Will that be in the end of the day? Is it going to be good, bad for the Western Balkans? Uh, can is it an opportunity for the United States, the EU, to exploit that in order to change? The, the situation within the Western Balkans? Well, I think immediately the, 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 the initial reaction should have been, look, this is such a big crisis on the Russian invasion of Ukraine that it will, a lot of it will be spelt, uh, spelled uh, out on the front, of course, and, and the way uh, the, the outcome then be qualified politically, but uh, the, the the crises in the Western Balkans, the unfinished conflicts of the Western Balkans are actually diminute. They are very small compared to what is happening in Ukraine. And therefore, and therefore uh, much smaller political energy, much smaller economic uh, investment, much smaller uh, focus, uh, both in time and, and uh, in in terms of uh, uh, political involvement of, of leaderships of the U.S. and the EU is needed to sort this out. Um, now that's one thing. The other thing is uh, insisting on 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 simply doing the same thing and expecting a different result is, as we know, a, a definition of uh, of not very sane minds. And uh, in this case, the idea that the European Union and the US can expect a, a different result by simply sitting and, and waiting for this uh, to solve itself, but solved by itself, will not produce much. So uh, the box has to be the context of solutions has to be expanded. Uh, and it needs to deal with both the security issues, the security umbrella for the region, uh, and and as 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 you have rightly said, you know, to try to find positive incentives that will move 
people uh, closer and, and faster into into solutions and cooperation. And do you feel that at this particular juncture, let's talk about the security collaboration, that you should be taking certain steps in that direction today? It's it's both NATO and EU. And, yeah, I mean, and, NATO, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, at this case, at this stage, uh, it's, uh, it's, of course, inevitable uh, that the U.S. should be involved. Uh, this is a primordial uh, duty, if you will, uh, of the U.S. Uh, and a primordial role, which is welcomed in Europe, of the U.S. to, to be the guarantor of, of security and to be the, the main uh, pillar of, of NATO, uh, within NATO. So uh, the question, of course, is, is, is how do we get you know how does the U.S. involve itself in in trying to uh, to sort this out in terms of of, uh, of, of hard security? Uh, yeah, I mean, interestingly, because you know, given I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to, to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. The 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 fact that Sweden, Finland now decided to apply for membership in NATO is there is there so there is some kind of here an opportunity, say for for the for NATO as well, to to like you just said, begin some kind of process of security arrangement. That is, the the war in the Ukraine is an instigator. What made it Sweden and Finland to apply for NATO? Yeah. Uh, when that does that, they give an opportunity now for the EU also to reach out and expand its security umbrella to the to the Western Balkans. Yes. Yes. And and. You know, in in my mind, there's I, I I don't think there's any doubt that Kosovo will be a NATO member by the end of the decade, uh, and maybe that's probably the way to to deal with this issue is uh, to project uh, some of the uh, outcomes which are only natural. So if we negotiate under the assumption that Kosovo will be a NATO member at the end of the decade, and this is something that is spelled out to Serbia quite clearly. We're not talking about whether Serbia, and in this case Russia, can obstruct uh, Kosovo's NATO membership. And we're not speaking about a hypothetical situation in which they can obstruct the, the statehood either. Uh, what they can do uh, at this case is recalculate and, and Serbia needs to recalculate uh, under the the clear projection uh, that uh, that the whole region will be in NATO and that itself uh, Serbia itself might not want to be in, in NATO but that uh, will redefine its notion of neutrality. Uh, you can be neutral as Austria, um, uh, but you cannot be neutral as Serbia is today in terms of uh, military neutrality that, uh, that has uh, links to Russia simply because Russia has done something that is has changed the rules of the game. It's, 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 it's opting for a new Yalta and it's opting for a new Helsinki. And this, is, this puts all the rest of us uh, in a totally different camp. Right, right. So, and 
No, I think I think I fully agree with you because becoming you know joining NATO, uh, there are not the preconditions that the EU is putting on on you know on Serbia and Kosovo. So when when you say this absolute certainty that Kosovo will become a member of NATO by the end of the decade, uh, what what is the? I I agree with you, but I'd like to. Here for our listeners, the rationale, why do you feel so confident? Because the more certain the, the, um, the picture of the future becomes uh, as envisaged by, uh, by the parties, uh, the, the, the better, the better calibrated can the dialogue be. You, you know, we've been spending like 10 years discussing license plates. Uh, which is a silly thing, you know, license, car license plates. Uh, now, this is 23 years after the war has ended. Now, imagine in 1968 uh, and France and Germany discussing license plates, you know, which license plates connect <laughs> the French. It is a joke. I, I agree with you. <laughs> and, and, so, and so if we say, okay, look, this has to come to an end, this this conflict has to finish. The people of Kosovo and people of Serbia need to live in peace and cooperation. And now uh, that peace and cooperation will be partly it will be defended by NATO, by Kosovo becoming a NATO member. Uh, uh, now let's find ways in which this peace and cooperation is possible in this shared space because this is countries do exist with their borders and 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 their governments etc. But the space is shared, uh, you know. It's irrevocable, obviously. Excuse me? It is irrevocable, the space. I mean, they share space. They're stuck, uh, it, it, ge- ge- geographically speaking. Right, right. They're right. stuck. And I mean, yeah. they have to deal with the fact that they are stuck together. The Absolutely. population also interspersed, specifically in the north. Uh, you, you and I agree with you, you are against, certainly against, Territorial um, concessions, oh, that's not gonna, that's not going to work. That's simply going to alienate Albanians from from Kosovars and vice versa. Yeah. Not necessarily bridge the gap between the two sides. So, so we're ruling out all of this possibility. If I may, uh, if I may, Milton, can I put you on the spot for a second? If you were, if you were to try to, to today to write the rules of engagement for a new set of negotiations between the two sides. Uh, what would be the three, four principles, rules of engagement that you would establish before you commence any kind of mediating efforts from your perspective? Uh, well, being an, a consultant to the government on these issues, I'm, uh, I'm a bit restrained in, in speaking uh, more clearly on them. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would, I would, uh, I would look at it as an evolution of all th- all the previous negotiating processes. So we've had Rambouillet uh, to stop the war and to establish an interim administration. We've had Vienna uh, as a process of negotiation with clearly defined principles. If you if you combine the Vienna the Rambouillet principles, the Vienna principles, you will find the natural evolution to the principles that need to be. Uh, uh, that that needs to uh, clarify 
the a, a more serious, more enhanced uh, negotiating process again under under the EU uh, mediation, but certainly with a uh, uh, great uh, U.S. Uh, political support. Yeah, I, I know. Um, I, I I deal with these issues. I've been dealing with this through also through back channel, you know, back channel. I've been involved in, and and um, and I, I I agree with you. That is um, going back to the negotiating process. It's got to be an objective that is established from the very beginning. What is the ultimate goal of these negotiations? Reconciliation process. That's necessary people to people, government to government, in order to create vested interest between the two sides. Um, this is going to be absolutely necessary. Uh, I'm, I'm putting words, <laughs> I know, you know, dealing with, with the history, that is dealing with the mindset, mitigating the historic account, the narrative, um, so they have both at least see eye to eye as far as, um, as, far as to the extent possible, which is very, very difficult. I, I look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and look, study the psychological dimension of that conflict. And to this day, Israelis do not recognize the Nakba, you know, the catastrophe of 48. Yeah. Yeah. And the Palestinians don't recognize the Holocaust or what it brought about the creation of the State of Israel. So there's not some similarity in terms of how do you go about sitting and negotiating. But nothing happens, and there is recognition on the part of Serbia, that, that Kosovo is an entity and is going to remain an independent entity comes what may. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what I think the Serbians simply still don't want to accept. And, and so do you see any, any uh, hope that, oh. that bring, bring Serbia any closer to reckoning with this reality? I, I don't think fast enough. I don't think it will happen fast enough. Um, I, I think it ought to happen. Now, you, you never know what is going to be the cathartic moment that actually makes these things change. But as we know, in human nature, these things happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, otherwise, where do we go from here? And that's just... Uh... <laughs> You know, I, I would love to continue this discussion with you, but I want the people to listen to the whole thing before they get tired. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So again, Vernon, I really thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.